Hi, this is Bill Cates, and welcome to your first Voices of Experience for 2011. Have you set your goals for 2011? Business? Personal? Whether you're trying to increase speaking revenue, non-speaking revenue, get better on the platform, or gain a little more balance in your life, I hope the accumulative effect of listening to VOE will help you in all of these areas. So let's begin your January VOE with someone you've probably never heard of, but has a wealth of knowledge and wisdom to offer NSA members. Zamira Jones has had a long and very successful career in the radio business. Zamira was Vice President of Operations for Radio One, with operational oversight for 71 radio stations. He served as General Manager of ABC Radio in Chicago. Radio Inc. Magazine named Zamira as one of America's eight best managers in radio nationally. Samira is currently the president of All-American Management Group. Samira Jones has so much to offer NSA members that I'll be conducting several interviews to run in VOE over the coming months. In this first segment with Zamira, I asked him how speakers can go about hiring the best salespeople for their office. Hire smart or manage tough. That's what I remind the managers who've always reported to me. If you hire smart, you find yourself not managing tough. If you find yourself constantly pushing your people and every day you're putting fires out versus making money, you're, 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 you're shaking people versus high-fiving people because there aren't enough successes, you didn't hire smart. And one of the reasons why we don't hire smart is that it's easy to do. It's just so much easier not to do it. The things you need to do to hire smart are easy. It's just so much easier not to do them. They sound so basic that they become boring. But if you do them, they will reap tremendous rewards for you. I'll share a few and you'll go, well, that makes sense. But then I'll ask, did you do that? And then you'll say, well, no. And that's why you were, you were managing tough. I'll share, I'm going to share a few things to look for in the hiring process. You should always be hiring, even if you're full up, even if you're happy. Don't stop interviewing. Always look for salespeople. Why? One, people leave for a myriad of reasons. Two, you want your salesperson to know we like you. We like you to be here. We want you to be successful. We want you to make a lot of money. But this is a business, and we expect you to perform. And if for any reason you don't, we have an obligation to everyone associated with this enterprise to bring someone in to get that done. This always hiring concept, I think, applies really to anybody that can serve you in your organization, does it not? A business manager, a admin? Every position you have, administrative assistant, a salesperson, marketing person, webmaster, you're always looking for, looking to improve the organization. If you're serious about your business and it's not a club, now, if this is a if this is if you, this is a you know, a hobby for you, then just discount everything I'm saying. But if this is a serious business that you are going to put your kids through college on, you better listen to everything. Interviewing is one of the biggest faux pas. Most people don't know how to do it because they don't know what to look for. I'm going to share with you what to look for. Now, there are many signals that they give you. 
not to hire me. Don't hire me. I am a failure. We just don't hear them. And, and so I'm going to let you know what they are. And I'll let you know what the things are you should look for that says, this is a diamond in the rough or this is a superstar. There's so many of them. I, I had to whittle this down. I picked the top five. Here's what to look for in work style themes, I, I call them. Hire smarter, manage tough, right? So the first one is work intensity. It's amazing that we missed this one. If the, if the candidate has a strong work intensity, they will tend to really enjoy work. They don't look at the, at the clock, and they have a work history that says, I really get in the zone, and, and I work hard, and I work harder than the people around me. They crank out more work than, than the people around them. They are goal-oriented. They have their, their priorities are set in stone. These people can, and can telegraph those to you um, chapter and verse. If they don't have that, they tend to work fewer hours. They tend to be very clock-oriented uh, on their workday. They, they oftentimes show signs of being burned out or worn out when they're interviewing with you, and you kind of, well, there's a casual day for them. No, pay attention to those things. Uh, often they give up on challenges too quickly. Now, keep in mind, the only way you're going to uncover these things is if you have more than one interview, more than one time of day, and more than one location. This is why you should always be interviewing. You want to meet people at not only at your office, but you want to meet them, uh, you know, at Starbucks. You want, if you're going to a reception, invite them to meet you there. Find different situations to get to know these people. And if you do that on a casual basis because you're not hiring for today, you can do this. And you can build a, a bench of real superstars. And superstars will really get that. Now, a person who's weak will often, in this area of work intensity, they'll, they will make excuses and they will uh, cave under tough talent challenges. The next one is discipline. Now, when they're strong, they pay attention to details. And so you want to ask a lot of questions about details. And you can't fake details. People who love details, they'll go right to them. They don't have to think about it. It's part of their mantra. It's in their DNA. These people demonstrate high standards. They can tell you about high standards they've demonstrated and exceeded at past jobs. And they glory in it. They tend also to be organized and orderly, and you can't fake being organized. Let me, let me ask you a question about that, because usually when you think of salespeople, quite often anyway, you think of the, the expressives, the people that are not particularly detailed-oriented or organized. But you're saying that the, the most successful salespeople really are detailed-oriented and, and very organized people. Yes, what I am saying is, is a very good point. I am not saying that you have to have all five to be a decent salesperson. There are salespeople who we all know they can't they couldn't balance their checkbook if their life depended on it, but they have great persuasion skills. What I'm talking about are the superstars and the things to look for to really give you a, 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 a key to that. Now 
Details are key, and there are a lot of ways to look at details. But if a person has no sense of detail, they will not be able to slice and dice a client's problems with efficiency and be able to to address them with accuracy and definiteness of purpose. So details are important. And the best salespeople are somewhat ambidextrous. They're, they are a combination of, of both these people skills and tactical skills. So discipline is key. Matter of fact, let me give you a question that uh, you should ask. Would you describe yourself as a highly organized person? And that sounds simple. And they'll say, yes. And then you say, tell me more. Whatever they say will tell you if they're lying or not. When you say, tell me more, the unorganized person can't do it. Because they aren't, they they will not be able to give you chapter and verse of what they did this morning to demonstrate they were organized. Try it. It's it's very revealing. As simple as that sounds. Matter of fact, on work intensity, I'll give you a question for that one too. How often do people tell you that you're too intense? You see. We all absorb the world in different ways. We absorb the world and we are deletion creatures, meaning we can't pay attention to all of our sensory uh, perceptions, right? So some of us um, look inward first and then external second. Some of us look external first and then inward second. And some of us are fast at doing that and some of us are slower at doing that. That combination makes up all personality styles. Now, if you are intense, you are going to leave some people in the dust and some people will let you know. So intense people who live in a world of intensity are used to someone saying, back off, slow up, cool off. You're you're just in my face too much. They're used to that. So they'll be able to tell you immediately if they have to think about it, they are intense. And so... That's a that's a question that as simple as that sounds, it always works for me. So if I'm I'm interviewing a prospective salesperson and I feel wow this person's kind of intense, and I'm feeling like maybe it's rubbing me the wrong way just a little bit. Are they going to be rubbing prospects the wrong way a little bit too, or or is that intensity necessary? Probably necessary for them really to be successful. Here's the thing: intensity is energy that can be applied correctly or it can be misapplied. And so what you're speaking of is just how elegant that person is in managing that power. You can be intense and still be pleasing, but you're going to rub some people the wrong way. If you want a salesperson that's going to develop business for you, if they rub everyone the wrong way, then obviously it's a problem. But if they rub no one the wrong way, they are a dud. Let me repeat that. If they rub no one the wrong way, they are a dud as a salesperson. Why? Because one of the questions, and let me let me go to that one, command. This is the one where is this person someone who has high courage? They um, well, let me give you the question that I would ask. Is it easy for you to give orders to other people? I ask that question. If they hesitate, they tend not to be a really good salesperson. One of the reasons why salespeople fail is they have call reluctance. 
They don't like adversity. They don't like rejection. And that's they are right-handed to that. So they'll avoid sales opportunities for your company because they don't want to get their feelings hurt. Someone who is naturally in a command mode doesn't care about that. Those are the people you want representing you. And you know what? If you want to make money, you're going to tick off a couple of people to say, you know what? You're you're calling me too much. You're in my face too much. Go away. If you don't get any of that, you're losing money. It's the reality of the business. It's kind of the old expression, you don't know how far you can go until you go too far. Exactly. For some people. Yeah, for some people. So you, you find out where that edge is for you and the people who... The salespeople who go, can go up to that edge without going too far are the ones who make the most money. Exactly. And, and, and it's not just this one work style. It's the combination of all five of these that makes it work well. Because, uh, you know, one of the things you look for is do people genuinely like seeing you coming? In your last workplace, do you, are you one of those people that lights up the room, people enjoy you, you have a positive attitude, and you have examples of that? And so that's kind of a, that kind of is a balancing uh, part of the personality to this command personality that I'm talking about. So we talked about uh, work intensity, discipline, right? Command. Command. And the next one is problem solver. They have to demonstrate that they... Uh, can solve problems. They enjoy solving problems. You put a problem in front of them, and they get excited, not get depleted. And so to recognize a problem solver, they solve problems quickly. They can give you examples of that. Then they naturally start to look for solutions. It's like in their DNA to do that. It's They strive to understand people's problems and environmental uh, situations. They get into that. I mean, that's I mean, they would do it for no money if they could. Now, people who are looking for, uh, i I give you an example. If a salesperson that you're interviewing says, well, do you have a package or a program, something I could take that's already put together? Run from them. Because what they're telegraphing to you is, I want the easy way out. And people who want the easy way out don't make good salespeople, period. They want everything prepackaged for them, and they just want to go and pedal and find the low-hanging fruit. And your company is not going to hit its ROI just living off a of low-hanging fruit. That makes sense? Yeah, it does. Well, that's reality. And one of the questions uh, we can ask about problem solvers is this. Think of your biggest client. Uh, this, assuming that you're, you're interviewing someone who is an experienced salesperson, and I suggest that we always go for prior experience if we can. Do you ask them, think of your biggest client. What is their most important problem now? What's most important to them now, their biggest need? And what have you done to solve it? Now, the depth of the answer will tell you how good of a salesperson they are because only good salespeople get deep enough into the organization to really know the business inside and out. How they describe it will tell you a lot about their ability to solve issues. And problem creators make the most money. If a salesperson knows how to magnify an issue for a client, then the checks get written bigger and longer. The last one is enterpriser. Now, 
I'm looking for an enterpriser, someone who's really going to be innovative and strong situations for them are derives great satisfaction out of selling. This is a huge one. If a person comes to you and try and spends time on the well, I'd rather be called a marketing person. Don't hire them. As a salesperson. As a salesperson. If you want, well, let me say it this way. I don't care what you want to call them in your, in your organization. If you want them to bring money to you, they are a salesperson. Let me give you a real insight into the psyche of salespeople. I'm a salesperson. You can call me a president, vice president, running public companies. I am a salesperson. That's what I am. I like that. I enjoy that. I always want to be that. Good salespeople love selling. If they hide behind other terms, they're not good salespeople. Have you taken a look at the agenda for the unconference that's coming up in February? If you haven't, I highly recommend you take five minutes to check it out. Just about every speaker who is presenting at this conference, sorry, unconference, has posted a video describing his or her session and what you can expect to learn. Now that's creative. This really is going to be a different conference, and in a good way. The programming is fresh and interactive and designed to make sure you walk away with tangible ideas you can use to grow your business. Now listen to this. If you register no later than January 26th, you'll save $100 off the regular registration rate. The Unconference is running February 18th through 20th in Atlanta. To get all the details and to sign up, go to www.nsauncounference.org. That's nsauncounference.org, or you can go to the regular NSA site. Not going to the Unconference would be unwise. Hi, I'm Terry Brock, and we all know that social media is really important. I mean, unless you've been living under a rock, you know, but we've all heard also the basics of it, you know, the 140 characters for Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Well, we want some advanced things that speakers can use to really generate business and to contribute to the bottom line. And so we've got an expert on the line, Gina Schreck, who joins us from her office in Denver, Colorado. Gina, thanks for joining us today. Hello, hello. Thank you so much. Well, we're looking for some advanced things that are out there. What are you finding in today's world that working is really working in a bottom line contributing way for speakers using social media? Well, you know, I, I think first we have to take a step back, Terry, and look at the fact that a lot of people jump on these social media sites, they, they create accounts, and they start tweeting or posting content, but they're not, they're, they're doing it without a strategy. And I think mm. we have to look at, number one, why are we on here? Is it to build a tribe? Is it to sell products? Is it to get people to sign up for a webinar? Uh, what is our purpose for being on there so we can really target that content that we put out? Yes, very and- important. And then I, I just don't think people are monitoring their sites so that they really are listening to the community. Because if my niche, for example, is immersive 3D environments, 
hypothetically, mm -hmm. but if my, hypothetically, <laughs> just pulling it out of the air, <laughs> you know, not only do I want to be listening for somebody that says at Gina Shrek in one of their tweets or Gina Shrek in a Facebook post, but I need to also be listening to the group that is speaking in the immersive 3D environment. So I listen to educators and what's going on in that world of educators using technology and businesses using virtual environments for you know webinars for 3d immersive so I have to I have to create ways to listen and get in on the conversations because I have gotten business from listening to a conversation and and I think what's funny is if this were real life it would be I heard two people walking down the street talking about the need to actually implement some sort of virtual solution and I jump in the middle of the two of them and say I've got an answer for you mm -hmm, you know yeah. that's what we're able to do using social monitoring tools and you know I use a site called social mention so socialmention.com will send you it's like a Google alert so I also have Google alerts set for different keywords and phrases and my name my name misspelled and then I, I social mention sends you what's going on in Twitter and Facebook when somebody uses your name or your keywords key phrases and you get those alerts and then of course setting columns on whether it's TweetDeck or Hootsuite so that you're immediately able to jump in on the conversation because I think that's a way to strategically be involved in your industry and in your niche so that you can jump in on the conversation. Yeah, so you're monitoring what's going on. And I like the way you talk about monitoring your name. One of the things you and I were talking about before we began this was looking for our name. I've found there are several Terry Brocks out there. And uh, we've got to look, if you have a name like Bob Jones or a common name, there might be several others. But then also right. on the other hand, if you have a name like Gina Shrek. I yeah. could be wrong on this, Gina, but there might be times that your name is misspelled. I like oh, what you said about looking at all the different misspellings on that. What are some uh, other advice, things that you can give in this social media world for speakers regarding names and monitoring how we're mentioned? Well, you know, I, I look at that and just say, you know, especially Shrek, last name Shrek, people spell it like the movie, S-H-R-E-K. So I do always have to make sure I'm saying what's going on in the world of Shrek. And, uh, you know, listening and responding when people are, are talking about you or your industry. Now, one thing that you can do to really see what's going on in your industry or niche is to get involved in what I call, they're called tweet chats. So there's, and as a matter of fact, I wrote a blog post and just listed a bunch of tweet chats that go on from event professionals they meet on Tuesday nights and somebody puts up questions and then on tweet chat people throw out answers but they're using the hashtag event profs so p-r-o-f-s with a hashtag event profs there's another one I I'm involved in on Thursday nights called learn chat l-r-n-c-h-a-t when I'm involved in those tweet communities number one I'm having conversations with people that I can do business with these are my these are my target audience and they're on Twitter involved in these tweet chats and there's hundreds of them and within each of those communities there's hundreds of followers yeah, there's now, a lot of things we can do with those, and I think that's the key point to take away from this is look for those communities that are really important in your involved. niche and look for your name. Well, Gina, if people want to find out more information and they want to get some more information, what's the best way for them to reach you? <laughs> well, probably the best way is on Twitter, at Gina Shrek. Um, and spell that, please, so we make sure we get it right. There you go. G-I-N-A. 
S-C-H-R-E-C-K. Um, or email Gina at Synapse3DI. And that's S-Y-N-A-P-S-E, the number 3-D-I. Very good. Well, Gina, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate all you're doing for NSA. And just great to have you on board. Thanks, Terry. Thank you, Terry and Gina. You know, it makes a lot of sense to find a way to monitor the buzz we're trying to create with all of our social media efforts. We've all heard of the term wingman. Well, the term originated with the advent of fighter airplanes, first props and then jets. Every fighter pilot needs a wingman to help him or her have a successful mission. When I was in college, I had a wingman, but that was for a different kind of mission. Do you have a wingman for your speaking business? If not, you might want to consider finding a few people to keep you flying in the right direction and at the speed you desire. With me is Lieutenant Colonel Rob Waldo Waldman, CSP, MBA, otherwise known as the wingman. Welcome to uh, this edition of Voices of Experience. Great to be here, Bill. Great. It's great to have you. I think our members are going to find this uh, program very interesting and fascinating. Uh, Rob has been in the speaking business for about seven years or so. He's the past president of NSA Georgia and is the author of the book, Never Fly Solo, which we'll learn more about in a minute. So uh, let, let's first get a little bit about your background. You were a fighter pilot for the Air Force. You uh, graduated from the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, and you also suffered from claustrophobia. So tell us a little bit about your uh, Air Force career and how that perhaps impacted uh, your desire to speak. Well, I spent 11 years active duty after the Air Force Academy. I'm currently in the Reserve, uh, recruiting for the Air Force Academy and ROTC part-time, and that keeps me in touch with the local community a little bit. But my full-time job, obviously, now is speaking. But a few interesting things about my career. In addition to flying F-16s, which I personally think is one of the coolest jobs in the world, I was very blessed and gifted to be able to do that. I've also been in combat, which not many fighter pilots have. And I also got to experience the wonderful world of being shot at. Uh, missiles, uh, anti-aircraft artillery, I was fortunate or unfortunate being in a few uh, conflicts in the last uh, you know, 10 years or so, and experienced a lot of uh, enlightening moments, I would say. But one of the uh, things that you mentioned is about me being claustrophobic. I had an experience three years into my 11-year flying career. I was on vacation in Antigua, was scuba diving 35 feet under the water, had a panic attack, uh, sucked in a bunch of water, filled my lungs, thought I was going to die, literally. It was the worst moment of my life to this day. Nothing was more fearful. Uh, left the water, told myself I would never scuba dive again. But then a week later when I strapped into the F-16, now I was 30,000 feet in the air with a mask on as opposed to 30 feet under the water with a mask on. Kind of brought back this psychological, you know, similar environment in some way. And I panicked. I thought there was something wrong with the oxygen. I told my guy, my wingman who I was flying with, I said, bro, we got to land now. There's something wrong with my jet. He said, Waldo, calm down. There's nothing wrong. Bottom line. I realized I had claustrophobia. So for the next eight years of my 11-year flying career, I had to deal with one of the biggest fears in my life, which was claustrophobia. And how I turned that fear into focus and prepare and ask for help and, and really, really get my mind into the mission is, is a lot of what I discussed today. So that's kind of how I use my past into my current uh, philosophies on life. Right, and I know you didn't go straight from 
the Air Force into speaking. You had a little bit in between. Tell us about that. Well, I knew when I was in the military that I eventually got out, get out. So I went to night school, invested in an MBA, which I think is important. Furthering your education in any way is always a good thing. I got out, uh, worked for a foreign company as a VP of business development, selling jet fighter simulators, which is a great experience because I knew the jet fighter world and I got out there and traveled to Canada, all across the U.S., building value-added reseller relationships, FARs, and, uh, which was great because I cold called, gave presentations, fumbled through multiple. We all have those stories. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I started working for a company called Salt Consultants uh, as a VP of sales of a merger and acquisition consulting company. So now I was dealing with CFOs, directors of tax, very, very different world. Cold calling once again, really doing pretty well, learning, uh, making money. And uh, so I really carved my teeth in sales that way. And then I was contacted by a group of uh, team builders called Afterburner Seminars. Great team building company, bunch of fighter pilots. They said, Waldo, you're a fighter pilot, you're in sales, sell for us. We'll pay you a commission. Great deal. I learned the speaking industry, I learned the meeting planning industry, but there wasn't a cultural fit for us and they didn't have opportunity for me to grow. So I left a year later, started my own uh, unique brand about my personal experiences. I'm not really a team builder, although I do talk about teamwork. And, uh, And that's how it started. When I first decided to become a speaker, I, like many of us that are probably listening to the program, we wanted to become a keynoter. Great, powerful opportunity to make a difference. And I studied every possible speaker and consultant out there who did keynotes, learned from them, and then said this, this question to myself. I, I said to myself, how can I be different? Everything they did, I said, I need to differentiate, but also learn from the masters. How do they brand themselves? What do their demo videos look like? Spend hours and hours and hours on the phone. And mind you, no, on the web and on the phone, obviously, I worked full-time in one of my jobs, in the VP of sales job, in the tax consulting, you know, 12 hours, and then three or four hours at night for at least a year, year and a half, on the web studying the best keynoters, because I had a goal, be the best keynote speaker I could, not be the best product person, not be the best consultant, but be the best platform speaker that I, that I could, uh, could and, and I'm still working on that. So let's talk a little bit about your model of your business. Uh, keynotes, obviously. Uh, you also have a few products. You have the book, uh, Never Fly Solo. I noticed on your website you have a little clothing line. Uh, tell us a little bit about, about that. Are you doing much in the product area? I'm, I'm just really, really starting to do that. I developed some CDs. I've got my book. I've got the Wingman hats, Never Fly Solo t-shirts. I've just branded uh, Got Wingman, like remember the Got Mill campaign? Mm-hmm. I learned that idea from another consultant, so I uh, trademarked Got Wingman. I had these little mugs. You want to brand yourself. You don't just want to brand your speech. You have to brand yourself in a certain way. When you look at guys like Tony Robbins or Zig Ziglar, they don't have a brand that's not themselves. And I think what I tried to do is find something that can correlate directly to me. And that's what Wingman is. Don't be afraid to brand you, which is important. But for me, I own that Wingman phrase. It's trademarked. It's, it's my motto. The reason why I say that, Bill, that I was first WaldoSpeech.com and my company name is The Patriot Group, I had all these ideas on how I needed to be branded. But I sat down with Ed Rigsby in California, great guy, I'm sure we all know him, he does a cigar peg, 
And he's like, Waldo, you know, you talk about being a wingman. You should be the wingman. I said, ah, wingman.com is taken. He's like, well, you're the wingman. Why don't you create your wingman.com? Because you're everybody's wingman. Brilliant idea. I credit Ed Rigsby, NSA member, CSB in California, for helping me develop my brand. So the point is this. NSA wingman are the ones that help you evolve your brand and it will change, it will evolve as you grow, it will evolve as you experience the speaking industry more and more. So don't be afraid to change direction. Do it early, do it fast, but don't be afraid to change. Don't be so stuck in one of your brands that it won't evolve. Right, so your brand permeates everything you do. The website, the book, obviously, clothing line, but more than that, when you send a proposal to a client, it's like a mission. You know, just in you and I talking when when uh, we're talking about what we're going to do for the interview, you go, Roger that. You know, it's all this terminology, and you just let that that part of you, that fighter pilot, just permeate every aspect of what you do, don't you? Absolutely, and it's critical. I just was on the phone recently with DJ Vanis. He was just at the NSA convention. He talks about the Indian culture. Phenomenal. He's like, Wolo, I want to evolve my brand. I need to start, start speaking to corporations more, leadership. So what my recommendation to him and to any of you, and I know that some of you or most of you listening might not have a quote-unquote brand that's so unique like being a fighter pilot some of you have to create this unique value proposition without something exciting and sexy as being a fighter pilot or whatever so and that's something that's a topic of another conversation but everything i do in the back of my book there's a glossary of wingman terms there's uh, a wing nut is a wingman with a screw loose <laughs> right that's great a wing giver is somebody who, who who gives their wings a bling man is a rich wing man right <laughs> we all want to achieve that so create this vernacular that permeates everything that you discuss like you said, my PDFs and everything that I do today is mostly electronic, although I do have some hard copies to mail out. I have a flight plan. I have a mission preparation kit or a, or a flight plan uh, mission success kit. All these things I do, I say, hey, when are we going to have our pre-mission briefing? And by the end of the speech that I give them, and that speech starts with the initial conversation you have with the client through your pre-intelligence gathering to the post-mission debriefing, they feel and have, a, have an idea of the, this new culture that I brought to them called the wingman culture. And that is the value, something unique. So find what it is in your life, those unique experiences that you can create and brainstorm with an experienced CSP or NSA or brainstorm with an experienced businessman or woman right up the street from you. Don't always go to fellow NSAers for ideas. Go to somebody competent in business who can help you do what I call think outside the cockpit and create some unique ideas and, and, and help brand yourself. So here's a question. Um, it sounds like the way that you've branded yourself and the jargon that you use in your speeches and before and after your speeches and you create this persona, there's, first of all, there's an element of fun around that, you, you know, the bling man and that sort of thing. But... I suspect that it allows your message to stay with the audience longer because of that. You, you give them hooks. You give them jargon that they can walk away talking with, with their colleagues after your talk is over. Speak to that a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. And this, it, there has to be consistency. And it's not just the phrases and it's not just the brand. In the speech and through your follow-up, there has to be a method to your madness. I am constantly evolving within my speech how to reinforce concepts such as never fly solo. 
such as push it up, which is another trademark wingtip that I, that I share. Push it up is maximum power, commitment to excellence. So I have them call out during the speech, push it up. They push up the throttle, it's the pinky thumb, which is symbolic of the panther, Black Panther, which was our mascot. So I tie it into the story and have a callback during the speech. Uh, check six is another fighter pilot expression that I talk about in my speech, which is six o'clock is behind you the blind spots we all have, and how our wingmen help check each other's blind spots. So we need to check each other's six, show support, call out missiles that we can see so that we don't check out. I think this is a powerful concept of creating your own vernacular, creating your own language that you use in your talk, and then it helps the idea stick with your audience, which is what allows you to be more effective. Absolutely. And one thing I want to make clear, I don't create or I haven't created all of those words. Check six, Fight a pilot phrase. Push it up is something we used in one of my squadrons. But you apply it to their world, their life. That's the key. Find out what you applied in your nursing industry or in your insurance background, some unique phrases that could be applied to them, but then create your own. I created a lot of my own words as well and old phrases. So make it a blend and it gives you competence and, 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 and adds credibility and consistency to your speech, which reinforces your training and your message. All right, let's shift vectors a little bit here, um, uh, Colonel. You're also quite good at using the Internet to generate leads for your speaking and, and turning those leads into business. Tell me what's working for you in that. Well, this is what I did. The first three years of my seven-year speaking business so far, I spent on the Internet, and I am a master of finding relevant leads, not just a lead, a relevant lead, i.e. somebody that not only has a budget, but that can possibly fit me into their schedule and that I'm a fit with uh, based on my, uh, <clears throat> on my background, my experience, and my message. <clears throat> so I've done a lot of these programs. I'm doing some for NSA right now. And Googling the right... Uh, the, the right terms, selling to associations, which are easier to find than corporations. I get most of my gigs, 70% through uh, uh, corporations, but some of the powerful engagements I get are the associations because within them, you know, Bill. They're the corporate decision makers. Bingo, bingo. So, and if you Google associations, most of them have their meetings on the web, the regional meetings, their national meetings. But if you go to IBM or Aflac and some of these other corporations that are hiring people, their speeches or their seminars and, and uh, annual meetings are not uh, in public view. The associations are, so it's easier to find. And on the web, it's all about finding the relevant ones. While most of your work is to corporate conferences, you get that work by making sure you're involved in association work. So your paid association programs are also a marketing opportunity for you. Absolutely. And if you do not or, or are not willing to do association engagements for free, then you're wrong, especially if you're just starting out. I, will, if, I always say, ask with love, ask with kindness. I will always cut my fee if necessary, if it's going to, uh, to get me out in front of the right client. And if you are willing to put your money where your mouth is and show your value, do these speeches for free. After a while, obviously, you don't want to devalue yourself, and this is mostly towards <clears throat> some of the newer speakers that are listening to this. Speak for free. Put your money where your mouth is. But don't you dare ask for a speech unless you're confident and have a great outline and, and know your message. Uh, that is the problem I think I see when I coach a lot of speakers. They're trying to evolve their message, but they're trying to sell. And you can't sell with confidence unless you feel 
fully competent in your own product and your own deliverable. It's a very psychological thing. You know, most successful speakers can point to a few critical decisions they've made along the way in their careers. Tell me about yours. Well, one of them, I think, like I mentioned before, was about Ed Rigsby branding myself as the wingman and evolving myself from from Waldo Speaks, which is kind of generic to the to the to yourwingman.com. That was very, very important. And also to become more of a character speaker. I remember uh, watching uh, Larry Wingate and Ian Percy speak a few years ago. Ian Percy is more of a content speaker, very ethereal, very philosophical. Larry Wingate, in your face, there's no, there's no doubt about what they deliver. So I remember asking myself, am I a content speaker or am I a character speaker? And I evolved or for some people may think devolved to more of a character speaker. Uh, guys like David Greenberg. I love David Greenberg, CSP right here in Atlanta. Phenomenal coach. He's always hammering me. He's like, Walter, you have some of these great sales stories, but you don't necessarily need to tell them in your, in your speech. They're hiring you for your persona, your background, this wingman. And it's often difficult for me, Bill, to, uh, to keep those those. Uh, emotional stories in tune because I want to teach. That's what my natural tendency is. But I guess as a keynote, they're hiring you for your energy, not just your message. And you know, how do they know that energy, Bill? On my website, what were we talking about? Your videos. The video. And this is so critical, folks. If all your website was, was your your name and say, click here if you want to hire me, (laughs) that would be enough. Your video is the ultimate sales tool. Better than Twitter, better than your cold calling or whatever. They have to find you and have to see this video. And if you go to my website uh, and see my video, within the first minute, they see I'm energized. If you don't want an energized speaker, don't hire me. They see people laughing and they see emotion. And if you don't have a message, emotion, in particular laughter in that first minute, change it and and really make it powerful what does the future look like for not waldo speaks anymore but the wingman what does the future look like for the wingman what projects are you working on well and, and I'm, I'm really shifting my my keynotes it's real i'm really taking it to new levels and for the folks who've been in this industry for a while you know as soon as you think you hit your pinnacle there's a humbling event that goes on and you take a couple of steps back and then you push up the throttle and you evolve and train and become a lot better i feel like my my keynotes are definitely evolving, but now I'm like, okay, I've got my speaking where it needs to be. I'm doing wingman leadership workshops, half-day, full-day workshops that I often bundle with my keynotes. Big uh, wingtip here for you. Have a, have a keynote and have a follow-on program so that if they can't afford your keynote, say, you know what, how about this? How about I bundle a one-hour seminar on X and I'll give it to you for the same price as the keynote, you won't need to bring in another speaker. You'll save some travel expenses. Boom. So after your keynote is evolved to where you want it to be, then start developing a second program. So my wingman leadership is a big deal right now, Bill. And I'm converting that program into an online wingman leadership training program. And a, kind of like an ebook, but very, very versatile and a lot more uh, uh, content packed with video, with me speaking, with, with uh, a lot of uh, content packed wing tips within that. So people can click and learn and get what I call wingman certified uh, in their own squadrons, in their own company. I think you're making a critical point here. Even keynoters, motivational energy speakers can and should have content 
behind them because if, if all you're selling is speeches, all you're selling is speeches and how many can you sell and you're getting paid for just your time. But if you have other things that go along with it, online training, if there's more substance behind you, then there are more revenue opportunities and, and, and you get a chance to do some teaching, which you say that you like to do. So you get to kind of get the best of both worlds. Absolutely. Look, at the end of the day, most of us are not just keynoters. We want to, we want to teach more. So have the keynote, the brand builder, be the parlay into other uh, revenue-generating programs. You know, Zig, or, or Jim Ziegler is really big at that, and some of the other big speakers. Nito Cobain, uh, Alan Weiss. It just creates an opening for you to really go above and beyond. That's where I'm at right now. So I want to build this, this program, do some online training. I'd like to make money when I go to sleep at night. Well, as we close out this very interesting interview, and, and if you can't hear the excitement on, of uh, Colonel uh, Wingman, Colonel Waldman, on this program, he's, he's jumping around the room, he's got his leg on the chair, he's hitting the table, he's just having a good time. And uh, so there's th- three, three f- concluding messages I'd like you to, to, to leave with us. First, um, to kind of three groups of, within our membership. Uh, first of all, to folks who are fairly new in this business, you know, for just getting started or, or still new within their first year or so, what words of advice or wisdom might you have for them? Well, I always tell everybody, uh, you know, leverage the relationships within NSA. This is about not flying solo. Mayday, which is I need help, are the three most important words in the English language, in particular in NSA. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Show appreciation. Buy lunch. Thank them. But there are members of NSA who've earned their wings through the relationships they've had with others. Get out there. Go to lunch. Don't rely on the meetings as your sole method for building your competency in NSA. It's what you do at lunch. It's what you do after the meetings that truly allow you to earn your wings. That's my biggest advice to the new members. Leverage the relationships, be willing to ask for help, and to be thankful and appreciate the help that you get. To veteran speakers who have been at it a while, but don't seem to be realizing their potential. They're, they've kind of hit that, that ceiling of complexity, if you will. And, and what, what might you say to them? Okay. One a thing I like to say in the military and in my speeches is complacency kills. The worst thing that we can do as experienced speakers is sit back on our laurels and kind of throttle back. The way we see where we are in our industry is not just by comparing ourselves with our peers. Be the type of wingman that takes those youngsters out to lunch because that young new that new member of NSA might have a wingtip, something for you, something they're doing that they might have learned when they've been in sales, in technology, on Twitter. You can learn a lot from these young speakers and they could reinvigorate your career and inspire you. Wow, I love it. I've been in this industry only seven years. A lot of the uh, more seasoned speakers kind of look at my stuff and say, wow, I want to do this from Waldo. And we, we talk and we share and we, we show value. Well, to use your vernacular, that's a good wing tip. That, yes, sir. I always thought those You're were learning, sweet. Bill. I might have to put you, you might have to get you in a flight suit and have you fly a mission with me one day, you know? <laughs> yeah. You're short and good looking, which are two, two principles of being I, a fighter pilot. Short and good looking. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment then. Uh, I always thought wing tips were shoes. But anyway, um, so I'm learning something here. And finally, to, to your peers, the very successful among us, uh, what would you say to us? You know, if you talk to any speaker and say, oh, you're such a success, oh, you know, okay, thank you. The biggest word I say to myself when I hang up the phone or after I get a deal or after I do a good speech is, next. Mm 
you know, celebrate your victories, but then find a way to keep evolving, keep creating, you know, and don't lose touch with each other. I'm in a mastermind group with uh, Tim Gard and, and Mike Rayburn and Dan Thurman. We got to slap each other around a little bit. Let's go. Let's get together. What are you doing? Let's share. So I'm like, oh, man, you know, like uh, Mike Rayburn, extremely, extremely successful. Uh, and same with Tim Gard. They don't have a book out like me and Dan Thurman do right now. So when we meet next time, we're going to really talk about how to build the book and, and get a, a great publisher and how to market it, etc. So stay connected. Pick up the phone. Uh, it goes back to being a wingman again and just being, being willing to be humble. No matter how great I do on a speech, I'm, I'm thinking about ways to improve. Mm, that's good. Well, Lieutenant Colonel Rob Waldo Waldman, the wingman, Thank you for your service to our country and for your service to NSA. And thank you, Bill. I know this is a tough job, and I'm really happy we had the chance to fly a mission together. Just about every expert who speaks would like to connect with high-level executives for large corporations who will recognize the value they bring and hire them for multiple speaking dates or training sessions or however they serve their clients. I recently sat down with NSA member Jill Conrath to record a series of short segments designed to help you get your foot in the door and sell your services to large companies. I'm here today with Jill Conrath, author of two best-selling sales books, Selling to Big Companies and Snap Selling. This is the first of a series of sessions on strategies you can use to land bigger clients. And Jill certainly knows how to do that. Her own client base is a virtual who's who of well-known firms such as IBM, GE, 3M, Wells Fargo, Hilton, and Staples. Jill, lots of speakers are really struggling to get these kinds of large clients. So what do you know that others don't? Bill, what I know that a lot of speakers don't know is that these big companies really do need their expertise. And they're short-handed, short-staffed, and they're desperately looking for outside resources that can add significant value to their company. A lot of speakers don't know that. They think that, why should these companies need me when there's so many great people on staff? So that's what I know, and that's the premise I operate under. But what I do see that a lot of speakers don't know is how to go about getting into these companies. And they just look at these corporate monoliths and they, they kind of get overwhelmed from the very onset and they think, well, how do I get in, into GE or how do I get into IBM? And, and they think, well, maybe I'll call HR or maybe I should call the training department. But when you call the corporate training department or corporate HR, you, you get nowhere. So what I advise speakers to do is to do some analysis of big companies prior to going after them. And what I found is that big companies are really a composite of smaller companies. So within each large corporation, there are multiple business units, and many of those are multi-billion dollar organizations as well. But within each business unit are multiple divisions. And now we're starting to get into medium-sized companies and, and sizes that people can actually tackle and go after. And then what you need to do is you need to actually go look within those divisions in terms of what area in those organizations would you fit better. For example, it might be manufacturing, it could be marketing, it could be sales, it could be HR. And then you go after the account from that perspective. And that's the starting point to getting your foot in the door. And I always recommend that speakers pick 10 accounts to research to start going after these big companies. So, Jill, what you're doing is taking this uh, big elephant and uh, eating it one bite at a time, to exactly, use an old, exactly. old metaphor. So how, how do you find the chunks? How do you find, uh, like an IBM, how do I find out how many divisions there are and what they're called and, and, and their role, et cetera? 
Actually, the place that I always start is by going to their website and downloading their annual report. And their annual report starts breaking things down into sub-segments. So you can do that and, and take a look. And then you can go to their website and start searching through their website to find out more about the specific division. For example, if you go to GE's website, you'll find that they have um, subsets on the financial services group. They have uh, big corporate uh, industrial things that they sell. They also have uh, finances. You know, they're just there's a ton of different resources on GE. So you just start researching online and through their annual report. And it's the best way to get your arms around this big elephant because it's a huge thing to start with. And you can't win if you're going after the whole elephant. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So next time we get together, we're going to talk about how you identify the people within each of those divisions and how you get their name, how you make contact with them. Absolutely. Thank you, Jill. We look forward to your continuing segments on this important topic. eSpeakers has been a long-time, top-level sponsor for NSA. NSA depends on sponsors such as eSpeakers to remain economically viable. Here is a glimpse into how you might be able to take advantage of the many benefits eSpeakers has to offer. With me is Lisa Earl McLeod, a longtime user of eSpeakers. Lisa, welcome to Voices of Experience. Well, thanks. I'm delighted to be here. Like a lot of the listeners today, I'm a longtime speaker. I'm also an author. Uh, my newest book is called The Triangle of Truth, and I write a leadership series for Forbes.com. And as you said, I am a longtime user of eSpeakers. And so I want to talk to you today just a little bit about what it's done to help us take our business to the next level. When we first started with eSpeakers, we chose the plus version of eSpeakers. And we did that because we wanted video feed and we wanted to be on all the Bureau sites. And I have to tell you, that auto feed to the Bureaus, it made a huge difference for us. We got picked up by several Bureaus. We Our search engine rankings went through the roof. It made a very big difference. And eSpeakers has made a really important change in the last couple of months. Now, as an NSA member, you can have some of those same features, and it is absolutely free. You are completely crazy if you do not do this. You can have your profile right up there on the site. It auto-feeds to the bureaus. And now if you look through the NSA directory, there are several people that do not have their pictures up there. They do not have their bios up there. You're crazy. It's free. At a minimum, this is how you need to be using eSpeakers. Now, in our business, we've taken it to the next level because we've gotten really proactive with our marketing and we've got lots of bookings going on. And so we use the professional version of eSpeakers. And there's tons of features. I encourage you to go on the eSpeakers website and look at everything you get with that. But I want to talk to you about three of them that have been critical to our business. The first is the online assistant. Now, I have a staff. There are three of us that work in our office, myself and my business partner, my husband, and we also have a marketing person. But in spite of that, the online assistant has been huge for us because it allows our clients, and this is the really important part, our prospective clients to go online anytime, day or night, and get a great response from us. If you haven't looked at this, I really encourage you to go on the website. It is way cool. It makes you look so 21st century. Um, the second thing that is so great about this is the social networking feed. And you have to go on the eSpeakers website to really see how this works, but I'll describe it very quickly. What it allows me to do is I set up these automatic systems so that I can say every time I'm speaking to an event, I want to tweet out, put it on LinkedIn, put it on Facebook, and it just 
automatically does it. So I've got something set up where when I'm a half an hour to into an event, it automatically tweets out, today I'm speaking to an audience of 5,000 people at an auto trade event, and I actually put in something that says, what I love about these people is X, and it's great. And so that just happens automatically. So this social networking link up really takes a lot of pressure off you because we all know I'm supposed to be tweeting and Facebooking every event I do, but I don't get around to doing it. This does it for you. It's amazing. Now, the third thing that I want to tell you about is this iPhone app. This, for a speaker, is just a godsend. How many times have you been in the airport late at night? And let's be honest, you do not know where you're going. You have forgotten your contact's name. Your file is a big fat mess of crumpled up papers. Well, if you've got it in eSpeakers, all you have to do is just put on that little iPhone app, and there it says, here's where you're supposed to be. Here's the contact person. Here's what time you're supposed to be there. It's great. And so I have my assistant feeds it all in so that when I'm there, I look a lot more organized than I actually am. So those are the three things for us that prompted us to bump up to the next level of membership. And again, there are so many more features. I really encourage you to go on the website. So it's eSpeakers.com. If you have any questions, you can contact Joe Heaps. If you have any questions, you can send me an email. Our email is lisa at trianglefruit.com, and we will tell you exactly how we use eSpeakers. Or you can click on support at eSpeakers.com. The first level is free. You're crazy if you don't use it. And the second level can really take your business to the next level. Thank you, Lisa Earl McLeod. And thank you, eSpeakers, for your continued support of NSA. In each VOE, I'm including a short segment on platform skills from some of NSA's best speakers. I've called this How the Best Get Better. Here's another great idea we can all put to use. So with me is Roxanne Emmerich, CSP, CPAE. Roxanne, what are you doing to stay great on the platform? When my Thank God It's Monday book came out, I did a tremendous amount of media training, and I realized that there's a whole avenue of of, um, instruction that so applies to the platform. And I saw my platform skills get better, my stories get better, things get more succinct. Um, And one of the key things they taught me is that when you're asked a question, you repeat the question uh, back to them uh, and go into three very succinct, logical points that just hit it hard, which is not something I'd ever heard in the speaking coaching. But when I started to do that, I saw how the credibility went up dramatically at the beginning of my speeches because people really got that I was an expert as opposed to just starting only with a story where they kind of go, well, that's cute, but does she have anything to say? Can you give us one example of how that might work in one of your talks? Mm-hmm. So, for example, maybe the first question they ask me is, Roxanne, why is it that most people don't say, thank God, it's Monday? Which I'll reply to them, well, that's exactly the problem. People aren't saying, thank God, it's Monday, and it's costing one out of every three payroll dollars, according to Gallup. It's costing people their ability to be happy in the workplace. In fact, 61% of people actively looked for a different job last year who had a job. And most importantly, people have lost their soul and their passion. They're not happy in what they're doing. We've hit a 22-year low. Sounds like it's, it's really made your talks tighter in terms of how you communicate the information. At the beginning of the talk, I give a tight amount of information to build the credibility on why they have to sit up and listen to this program. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I think Roxanne makes an important point, especially if you're in front of an audience looking for tangible ideas they can put to use in their business or careers. 
It doesn't mean we don't tell stories and even have a lot of fun with our audiences. That's always a given. It just makes sense to let them know up front that they'll also be getting the new ideas for which they came. For about the first seven to eight years in this business, I was working so hard I used to joke that I would never be qualified to speak on the topic of balance. Do you feel my pain? I think balance is one of those things that we may never perfect, but continue to make incremental progress towards. Joining us for the next several editions of VOE will be Jeff Davidson. Jeff's brand focuses on the concept of breathing space. What a great brand to have and to have to live up to. In preparation for these segments, Jeff queried quite a few NSA members to determine some of their most pressing challenges with regard to work-life balance. Jeff, one of the problems that many NSA members reported in the study that you did was that stuff was piling up too quickly. They had too many things piling up. Uh, they couldn't make decisions on what to do with many items. They weren't sure they had enough space. I guess we call this deskmanship. So talk to us a little bit about deskmanship. Virtually every speaker understands the importance of taking control of their desk and their immediate environment. Everybody knows how important it is to be organized, to be able to draw upon materials that will support your business. The problem today, Bill, is that the rate at which stuff comes in is unprecedented. Nothing like it in our careers, nothing like it in history. And so we're the first generation in the history of the earth, if you will, that has to make very quick decisions and we have to have the mental and emotional strength to say this looks interesting but you know what it's just not important enough and so we have to throw out or immediately remove from the surrounding area that which is not prime that which does not support us a lot of people want to hold on to things and they want to be masters of it all I'm here to say we've got to have the mental and emotional strength to say no to most of what crosses our desk. So I appreciate your point about uh, the, the strength, the discipline to say no, and I, I certainly suffer from that. I go on the road, I pick up articles you know, that I read in magazines, I pull them out, I want to act on this, I want to act on that, and it just piles up to the point. So give us some ideas of how to handle that flow besides just the, the mental discipline. When we're on the road, we are particularly prone to having things pile up because we're seeing different kinds of information. We're reading newspapers that we don't normally encounter. We're picking up stuff from the client. We're seeing things as we travel. So what I suggest is before you leave, have some envelopes with you, 9 by 12 if you will, label them, and so you can begin to deposit the items you collect as you make your rounds. You snip out an article, you see something in the newspaper, you get a business card. When you come back, you'll have different piles based on what you chose to put in each envelope. Now, what about being at your desk on a daily basis? I suggest that you open your mail over the wastebasket. Over the wastebasket. That is the greatest incentive to get through it quickly. That enables you to use your powerful wrists to take that stuff that you know you don't have any extra time for and put it right into the circular file. Last, try to prevent your name from getting on lists to begin with. Most of the time, when a piece of paper comes into our personal kingdoms, we go through all this decision, ah, should I keep it, should I do this, should I do that? Most pieces of paper shouldn't have arrived to begin with because you took the time to get off of lists. Jeff, what about those existing piles? I go back to my office 
and the piles are already there. Any ideas for that? All piles in one form or another represent postponed decision-making, and the higher the piles and the more of them, the further behind you feel perceptually as well as in real time. So be gentle with yourself. If a pile is six inches high and it represents some material, it's going to take uh, you know a little time to wade through and determine whether or not it's worth retaining and acting on. Be gentle with yourself. The pile didn't get that high that fast, and you're not going to get through it all that fast. Give yourself a few days. Give yourself a week. Carve out time during the week. Usually Friday afternoon from 3 to 5 is a good time. Point being this. To the degree you can knock those piles down, have things be manageable around your desk, around your office. The perception of being in control immediately follows and you feel like a million dollars. Tell me about your term Operation Clean Sweep. What does that mean? With Operation Clean Sweep, what you do is you collect everything in and around your desk. The post-it pads, the business cards, the URLs that you wrote down, an article you extracted from a magazine, everything that is accumulated within a two or three foot radius of where you sit and you put it in one single pile. Now here's the operation clean sweep part. Whatever's on top of the pile you have to deal with but you get a free pass with each item just once. So in other words whatever's at the top of the pile if I can't deal with it at this moment you get to put it on the bottom but just once. When it comes up again, you're going to have to deal with it. Now, as the organizing experts tell us, there are only four basic things you can do with information. Act on it immediately, file it for future use, delegate it, have someone else work on it, or toss it. So when you go through the items that have accumulated in your Operation Clean Sweep pile, you make one of those four decisions. Act on it, file it, delegate it, or recycle it. Ideally, when you're through, you have one slim pile of things that you have to act on. Now it's just a matter of putting the most important on top, least important on the bottom, and having the wherewithal to tackle that first issue. Take that as far as you can, then go on to number two, and that is the fastest and easiest way to regain control of your desk environment, your office, and your career. Jeff Davidson, thank you very much. Each VOE, I'm featuring one member of the NSA Million Dollar Speaker Group to bring to us one idea that has helped them build a million dollar business. And as usual, some of the best ideas are the simplest. It's all a matter of execution. So with me is Ann Warfield, and you have a different approach to uh, presenting how you serve your clients. Tell us a little bit about that. What we have built and designed for our clients is actually a three-year program that takes and transforms how people think and how they interact in their culture. So what we do when a client calls up and they want to do a program with us, which is typically what they're thinking, one program, one way they found you in, what we talk to them about is that typically what people do with us is the long-term program because they're really looking for changes long-term in the culture. 
And so we explained to them how the three-year program has all of the components from live training. It has laser coaching, whether people can get the one-on-one coaching, and it has weekly learning modules so they can continue the learning. We explained to them what the program is as the pricing is on it. Then from there, if they want to look at one program, then we move to talk to them about that one program. What it does for their mindset is they already see the long-term system and the results from that system. And then when you start talking about just one program, they feel like something's been taken away. And we found that was much different than what we did in the past. Um, For example, a lot of people have heard about bundling. And so what you tend to do with bundling is you want to say, well, if you want this program, we can also throw in these four things with you, and here's what the cost would be. What we found happens with bundling is they've already locked into here's the price of that program. So now as you bundle, they say, yeah, but do I really want to have those extra things? I don't know. Let's stick with the what we originally came in. What we found with the three-year system is that they then look at all of that all together, the whole system and how it fluently flows, and then they look at one program and say, do I really want to only get that? So it leads to them wanting to go into the long-term program. We also tell them that, hey, we know three-year commitment might feel big right now. So here's what you do. After one year, you have the option to opt out if you want. That's another critical difference because if you try to get them in one year and then get them to opt in for the second and third year, they have to revisit the decision, do I really want to do that? If it's an opt out, I'm already in the program, do I want to pull out at this time? So it's a different mentality. Ann Warfield, thank you. It's great to see how just a little shift in our thinking can make a huge difference in our revenues. Ladies and gentlemen, members of NSA, I give you our Madam President, Kristen Arnold. As I travel out to the chapters, I'm frequently asked, why did you want to become NSA president? It's actually a pretty good question. And the short answer is because it clearly hits my trifecta. I believe that I can make a difference for NSA, my business, and my own personal growth. So let me explain this trifecta, as this model may be useful for you whenever someone asks you to do something pro bono, or in other words, for free. For me, it has to hit the trifecta to satisfy all three criteria before you say yes. So first, it has to be something that you are personally passionate about. For me, I love NSA. I love the people, the culture, our mission. I mean, where else can you stand on the shoulders of other successful professional speakers and cut years off your learning curve and get a chance to hang out with other phenomenally smart people who travel around sharing their expertise and inspiration with the world? Second, you have to believe the organization will truly benefit from your talent. In my situation, I firmly believe that NSA needs a strategic thinker who brings a business approach to NSA. So evidently, the board thought so too. Lastly, the work has to help your business. From a professional standpoint, I speak about teamwork, collaboration, and high-stakes meeting facilitation. So I find it only fitting that I experience these principles firsthand. Now, I call this eating my own dog food. (laughs) Some people might call it practice what you preach. And I think that this is paramount for our credibility on the platform. How can anyone talk about leadership 
if they've never led anything. Now at NSA, we've been wrestling with a similar issue about eating our own dog food. We encourage our members who are experts in their own right to speak more, speak better, and make more money. In fact, we published a white paper a few years ago about leveraging the value of your expertise. And if you've never read it, I encourage you to go to the NSA website and download the Expertise Imperative as it gives you a robust list of activities to increase and leverage your expertise. Now, NSA is the leading source for community, education, and entrepreneurial business knowledge needed to be successful in the speaking profession. So it follows that NSA is also in the expertise business, helping speakers monetize their expertise. So we too at NSA need to eat our own dog food, modeling for our members how to add value to our customers, and that would be you, our members. So if you take a page from the Expertise Imperative white paper, there are several things that you can do to be considered an expert in your field. So you can create a virtual conversation, and you do this by creating a social media presence on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. You can be blogging about current events directly connected to your area of expertise. By the way, you might want to check out my presidential blog on WordPress.com. Brand new. Yay! You can set up a YouTube channel to tell your story. Now, NSA has set up a channel with short, interesting videos that help promote the value of your NSA membership and to share some items of interest to our members. <laughs> you might want to check out Vice President Ron Culberson providing a short tour of NSA headquarters. He's hilarious. Okay, not really funny, but he does try. You can also be collaborating with your clients to help them promote the event that you're speaking at. So just check out what Gina Schrack and Neen James are doing to promote the unconference being held in Atlanta on February 18th to the 20th. Are you providing promotional lead-in videos to your meeting planners, like what our speakers are doing at the unconference? When you become a leader in the virtual conversation, you then get cited by influential magazines and periodicals, which even further reinforces your expertise. Love that. By the way, did you know that we're a featured story in Inc. Magazine this month? Woohoo! Now, the social networking then bleeds into the traditional network of publications, books, CDs, white papers, articles, you get the point. And they're all used to establish your credibility. So this is really cool. Now, our first book, NSA's first book called Paid to Speak, will hit the bookstores in March. And besides our two white papers, our newest product, The Business of Speaking, is being ordered by the caseload. And I'm not kidding about that. And you don't want to miss the bonus DVD in there of Joe Calloway's legendary speech, Letting Go of What Used to Work. Every time I watch Joe, I keep throwing stuff out. Let go. Let it go. You can also offer your clients a piece of you to take home in the shape of back-of-the-room products. Books, CDs, learning systems, guidebooks which is why we now have an NSA bookstore at each national event. For years, we never did that. Now we do. How cool is that? Finally, we can leverage our expertise through some kind of technological offering. NSA is tinkering around with different technologies, including mobile apps, and we plan to develop something for the annual convention. 
I'm not exactly sure what that plan is, but I know that it's going to be our first step into developing our own mobile applications at NSA. And by the way, did you know that VOE is on iTunes? So you can have it automatically download into your iPhone or your iPod or your iPad or whatever. You may be noticing a small yet deliberate shift in the NSA landscape that I just want to point out to you, which individually are small tremors, but collectively they add up to a shift in the way we do business so that NSA continues to be the leading source for community, education, and entrepreneurial business knowledge to help you be wildly successful in this business. I want to say thank you to all the NSA members who have taken the time to send me their thanks and appreciation for my work with VOE this year. Much appreciated. I certainly hope you received several great ideas to help you enhance your business. This is Bill Cates reminding you that ideas do not make you more successful. Acting on ideas makes you more successful. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.